Today's episode is brought to you by Capital One Spark Business. Whether it's your first day at the new headquarters or another day getting payroll out by the first, Capital One works seamlessly as your partner, credit card provider, and business bank. Today, we decided to do something special on Superwomen and do a live podcast. I was fortunate enough to do a live podcast with Christina Stemble, the founder of Farm Girl Flowers, at an event we did with Capital One. So this interview might seem a little loud. There might be some clapping, but it was really fun to interview her live. She does not hold back. She is beyond honest, which I find so refreshing, about how hard it was to launch with $49,000 of savings in her bank account to being a company that does over $32 million a year in flowers and yet still struggles, still can't raise money, and has challenges that, again, to a lot of us, you can't believe this is still effing happening. So take a listen to this incredible live podcast in partnership with Capital One. This is Christina Stemble on Superwomen. Hi. How's everyone's morning? Good. So I'm really excited and honored to be able to partner with Capital One on a podcast series. I launched the podcast series almost a uh, a year ago, uh, really with the focus of interviewing women from all different aspects of work and industry. It started as something small in my store. I got really sick and tired of the fire marshal uh, threatening to shut down our events at set maximum capacity of 72 and thought there's got to be a better way to tell these women's stories. So launched the podcast and now um, having a six episode series with Capital One and you're my first victim. Ooh, wow, uh, honored. So um, I met Christina back almost a year ago, I actually blind, was blindly introduced and told her about a project I was working on and was just uh, really impressed and think her story is incredible. So without further ado, this will be our live podcast. Feel free to cheer, clap, whatever. You don't have to be quiet. Um, and hoot and holler if you feel like it. We um, do. Hoot and holler. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I would love for you to give me the origin story of Farm Girl Flowers and what inspired this magnificent company. Yeah, so most people want to hear that I started Farm Girl because I loved flowers and you know, I was frolicking in my grandmother's garden growing up and it was like my life passion um, and it wasn't. And so I think it's really important as females to be able to own our stories and not have to have this like creative like caricature um, moment that we talk about. So I wanted to start a business and I wanted it to be a business that could tick off a few boxes. I wanted it to be able to scale big. I wanted it to actually disrupt, um, actually change an industry. I didn't want to just take somebody else's idea and tweak it you know, a tiny bit and then um, call it my own. Um, and I wanted to do something good in the world. You know, There's nothing wrong with selling toilet paper. You know, We all need it, but I didn't want that to be my story. So um, Farm Girl was the first idea out of thousands probably that I had. I would, you know, I was that crazy person that turned every girl's night into like a beta testing. Hey, what do you guys think of iron on pockets for your suits? Or, you know, like crazy, like all over the, <laughs> the gamut um, of, of ideas. Um, and this was the first one I had that ticked all the boxes. Um, the last box that I knew it needed to tick was that I needed it to be able to be bootstrapped. So I didn't go to college. I don't have this fancy pedigree. I live in Silicon to be able to, to get funding. Um, early on, I didn't realize it would be as hard as it has been to get funding. Still, uh, eight and a half years in, we might get to, but um, but it was. And so I had $49,000 in my bank account, and I lived in a city that had a great flower market. And so this was the first idea that I could actually, you know, do that, eating ramen for a couple of years, but, um, you know, actually start it on my own um, with my $49,000. So that's what I did. 
So when you started, you were going to the markets, making everything yourself. How did you begin to scale and what were some of the key things you did in order to grow your business outside of just like, you can only hand deliver so many flowers, right? Yeah, I can make about, well, I've made 320 is my uh, record in a day myself. Um, But that was with, you know, a big incentive for whoever won. Um, So uh, yeah, it was when I first started, yeah, I would get up at three in the morning. I would go to the flower market. I would come back. I'd go up my two-story walk up with all my flowers, double parked on Van Ness Avenue. If you know San Francisco, that's not a it's a pretty precarious street to double park on. And then I would make all the arrangements. And the only thing I didn't do was do the deliveries on bike. I would have been in much better shape if I did that part of the business, but I didn't. So I outsourced that. Um, but everything else, I did customer service. I would go and you know, put um, my entire marketing budget for the first two years was coffee shops that I would take arrangements to with marketing cards. And I would go back every week and count how many were taken to see if it was worth the $20 to put another arrangement out. I mean, it was all word of mouth and coffee shops. I would go do that all day. I would then go to mark or networking events at night like this. And I would always take flowers and I would just, you know, happen to leave them on the registration table with cards, you know, not even asking people to put them everywhere, you know? So, <laughs> Um, you know, that was, that was my day early on. And then um, we only offered service in San Francisco to start. Uh, and it grew, I mean, it was tiny to start. So I like, I, I, I tell numbers, I share numbers. Everybody looks at me like I'm crazy, but I think it's, I think knowledge is power. So my first year, we did $56,000 in sales. If, I, if we, we only did $56,000 in sales in a day right now, it would be a problem for our company. So. Um, the whole first year, that's what we did. The second year, I did 276000 which I thought was amazing. I'm like, I 5 x it, you guys. I'm like, you know, this is so good. Um, but that was why it was still in my apartment. And then uh, my landlord found out, uh, who happened to be a corporate attorney, <laughs> that I was illegally running a business from there. And, I don't uh, know what that's like at all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. The fire escape filled with flowers every day. Okay. I don't know, you know what gave it away. But... Um, so I got the like dreaded pink slip two weeks to get out of the apartment or get the business out. So the business is much better to get out than me because rent in San Francisco, you guys, <laughs> same as New York. So big way we were able to grow was to keep extending the service area. So it wasn't like it just like caught on. You know, I did think I was really naive at first and I thought, this is such a brilliant idea that it's going to go viral. How many of you guys have thought that about your idea, right? It's amazing. No one right? else? <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I would tell, would tell all you know, the guys you know, that I talked to, like, no, you don't understand. This is, this is the idea. Like, I, everyone's going to tell. Everyone's going to sit around in places like this and talk about farm girl flowers, right? No, they don't, right? So um, I would have to keep extending. So I started with San Francisco. I thought within two years I'd be able to get national shipping going. It took five and a half years to get national shipping, but until then I would still extend it. I would do like South San Francisco, then I'd go to the rest of the Bay Area. And so every year we were able to grow because we were actually expanding the area that we were delivering to. So um, you know, every year we did about 100% growth or more, and by, by doing more, um, more area, I would hire people. That was the scariest moment probably in my life was the first hire. I was like, whoa, this person can't pay their rent if I don't pay their paycheck. Like, that's a huge responsibility, right? Like, I can live in my car. I'm very low-key, you know? (laughs) But I can't ask, you know, this guy Patrick to live in his car, you know? So um, it it was scary um, hiring people, but I needed to do that because, as Rebecca said, I can't make all the arrangements myself. And now we're a team of 140 people about in San Francisco, and we're on track to do about 32 to 33 million this year in sales. So. Um, but we're eight and a half years in, so, but, so no bust. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
It's just we're not an overnight success. So every scene, you're just like this overnight success. And I'm like, it's been eight and a half years of 120 to 140 hour weeks. Yes. Like it, you know, it like it does not feel, it feels like 30 years, really. I mean, you know, so it doesn't feel like an overnight success. So, but we're getting there. So on that note, I'd love to talk about motivation because as a founder, we all know the hours are not nine to five. It's more like nine to midnight. For me, motivation is a feeling. If someone said what motivates you, other than the private school check I now have to write because our school system rezoned us out of the public school. Um, I'm like, that's motivation, right? Um, what is that motivation for you? Um, I think I was just born with that motivation. I grew up on a in a tiny farm town in northern Indiana. And where I grew up, there was very defined gender roles. So um, I was told my entire life, you get married to a nice Christian man in this church that we go to three to four times a week, and then you have babies. And meanwhile, we will save for your younger brother's college education because he's the one that um, is going to be, you know, the person that goes to college and, and gets like a, you know, a manly job that brings in the bacon, you know? And so I didn't fit that. I was like a natural feminist from birth, I think. And so, I, you know, my parents were like, we don't know what to do with this kid, you know? Like she just does not fit on this farm. And so my motivation, honestly, I think is, sounds really bad, but I'm just gonna be honest, is success is the best revenge kind of thing. Like I've always just been like, you know, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make something, I'm going to you know, build a company. Nobody in my entire life believed that I was going to do anything and that was enough for me to say, watch me, you know, just watch me. So you talked uh, a little bit about funding and that it's been very difficult for you to secure, which is shocking. Um, I'm sure all of you are aware of the stats, less than 3% of women get funded uh, with venture capital and for minorities it's even smaller amount. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah. That you're on. Yeah. And you're gonna get revenge. I know that. So <laughs> I'm gonna have my pretty woman moment where yes. I'm gonna go in with my big check mistake. and be like, big mistake. Yes. Huge mistake. You know? <laughs> to all of them. If all you can film that moment <laughs> and then put it online, that would be good. It, I'm totally gonna do that. I'm gonna take out my Excel spreadsheet of the 101 no's that I've gotten to date. Um, I should mention though, because I have got called out for this, we have gotten a few offers. They have been horrible offers. And I think we need to talk about this as women too. Um, run the comps, like I ran the comps, and I'm like, if I'm getting less than half of what our male competitors are getting in the same space with my idea that is strikingly similar, is a legal term I'm allowed to say since this is on a podcast too, um, strikingly similar business ideas, um, then I'm not gonna take that. I'm not gonna just take it, you know? Um, I talked to one of my big female CEO idols, uh, founder idols, and I'm not, she, she gave me advice that was so heartbreaking to me. She just said, as a woman, you just have to take whatever you can get for the first round. And I couldn't do it, and I couldn't sleep at night that way. I was like, I, this, you know, our competitors are getting two to three X valuations in this. They're not having all these indemnification clauses and the term sheet that, you know, where they're personally responsible for any mistake that's made at the, like, I'm not gonna take that, you know? So. I have turned down a couple offers, but they haven't been good offers. I would have taken an offer in a heartbeat that was competitive with what our, with all of our competition, what they, they've received. So I thought that once I proved the concept, I knew I wouldn't be able to get funding early on, but I thought once that I had proven the concept out that it would not be this challenging to get capital. Um, I thought, you know, we're growing really fast. We're you know, always on the fastest growing private company list in Silicon Valley, that's really hard, you know, to do. And so I thought that they would be coming to us. But in 2013, 14, we had a lot of those strikingly similar companies pop up all by guys that worked at tech companies that wanted to come into the flower space, which is really interesting. Um, and so 
they all went out and raised pre-revenue funding. And I thought that we were going to be out of business in 12 months. I was really scared. I thought at that point, I think I had the first year I tried to raise, we had 19 employees and I thought all of them were going to be out of a job and I was going to be responsible. And it was really heavy. It was just really, really heavy. I cried a lot that year. It was really hard. So I thought, I'm going to go raise capital. It can't be that hard right now. I, you know, I've proven the concept. We've had all this growth. And I think at that stage in 2014, we were doing, I think we'd hit the, I think we're at 1.9 million. So we had, you know, only 2% of female owned companies make it to a million dollars in revenue. So we had like surpassed that. And so I thought it was going to be okay. Um, was not able to raise capital, was turned down every single time. While all of our, these other companies were raising, you know, their second, they'd done their seed, now they're in their A, then some of them were going to B. And the really miraculous thing was, we didn't go out of business though. You know, we didn't, I mean, it was, other companies went out of business that raised capital and looked very similar to ours, burlap wrap bouquets delivered by bicycle, same taglines, everything. Um, but we didn't. And so what I learned from that was, first, back then I learned to just keep your eye on your own ball. You know, like if you make sure that you have the best product and the best customer experience, like it doesn't matter what they're doing, you know? So it, it was really, I just, I unfollowed all of them. I didn't want to see all the stuff that they were, you know, doing that looked just like ours. And, and that was great. Now I even take it a step further. This took me seven and a half years. So if you're not here yet, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> took me a long time. But now I celebrate the copycats because if they're all copying us, that means we're the best, you know? And the day that they aren't, I'm going to be really worried because that means that there's another company that has surpassed us. And so now, you know, when I see that they send out a marketing email that looks really similar to the one we just sent out two hours prior to that, or they launch a product and they take our flowers, which literally happens from the grower and offer 30% more to get those flowers, like whatever, we'll just move on to the next thing. Then you'll be like, you know, we already did that two months ago. Great. You know, so now it's, it's, I feel like it's a much healthier place for me. But we never raised. So. When you do raise, because I know that there is, there is a trend. So when we grew our company, taking VC money wasn't an option and it wasn't a thing. Now it's like I feel like every day people want certain money. So I'm curious for, from your perspective, like when you do get this investment, what do you want to use it for? So I don't know that we ever will get investment. I, I'm constantly trying. Um, I think it's either the definition of, of insanity or resilience, but it depends what day you ask me on which one it is. <laughs> Um, today I'm on resilience. Okay. Yesterday was, it was insanity. Um, we're in diligence right now, um, but we've been in diligence many times before and it hasn't come to fruition. So I put zero eggs in that basket. Um, if we do raise capital, the reason that I would like to is because I'm tired. <laughs> I'm so tired, right? So I want to keep doing it, but I would like to be able to bring in help um, in order to take what I know will be the next 10 years to get to that um, stage. I want to be a billion dollar company. And um, I think we can be, Our, uh, the large scale competitors are doing a billion dollars, so I think we can be, but it's gonna take me another 10 years minimum to get there, probably 20 years to the billion, let's be real, about a half billion, I think I can get two in 10. And I'm gonna be like 90 in <laughs> cat years, like entrepreneur years, right? I'm just gonna be so tired. And so that's what I want, I wanna use it for people, for we need better technology, um, we need to open distribution centers. We need to open seven distribution centers. The fact, um, for those of you that have bought Farm Girl here, thank you so much. I am always amazed that people will spend $25 to ship our product. Um, when I first started shipping, I did a focus group to find out what people would pay 
for shipping, and only 2% of people would pay $25. But I couldn't afford to do less because we subsidized shipping by $1.2 million last year. So this year we're on track to subsidize over 2 million in shipping. So we need to open seven distribution centers that will get us to um, about 84% shipped ground overnight instead of air. Um, but in order to do that, I need money. Um, so that's why we haven't opened. Um, we'll be out here next, probably New Jersey area, hopefully next year, if I can save up my pennies <laughs> or get investment. Um, and then technology and marketing. So we spend um, under $6 right now on customer acquisition cost, which is kind of crazy, right, in, in consumer products. And so I'm also amazed that we're able to grow. We're at about a 50% clip right now on growth, um, which is we slowed it down intentionally. We were gonna on track to do 70 to 80% this year, um, but we raised our prices 20% in order to slow it down because our subsidies were growing too quickly that we would have run out of money in about four months if we didn't, so. So you didn't go to business school. No. I am beyond impressed. And I don't know if any of you as founders have encountered this, but as, as a founder, I launched with a passion, right? I just knew design. And so I'll never forget the day in 2014 uh, we're meeting with our investors and I, they kept saying EBITDA and I was like, I don't know, <laughs> what does e why do they keep saying it? And I can't read a spreadsheet and I like never forget, I put my phone on the table and I was like, EBITDA, oh, oh, that's what they're talking about, okay. So like I got my business school education, you know, and I, and I doubled down the last five years so I could actually know what I'm talking about. How did you become so well versed and who did you look to or what did you read? Because I'm sure as with most of you, you're learning sometimes as you go. That's exactly what I did, it was just learn as I go. So I'm a, I didn't even go to undergrad, so I graduated high school and I moved to New York City two weeks after. So, um, Same girl. Yeah, yeah. So I just was, you know, everything that I've learned in life has helped me get to this place. Um, I always had to go in at the ground floor and work my way up at every position, like, I mean, ground floor, like minimum wage, and then work my way up. And so through all of that working your way up, you learn a lot. I'm also a firm believer that I don't think college is the one track that we should be promoting for everyone. I wish we would bring back trade schools and things like that, but that's a whole nother podcast probably. Um, but the $49,000 that I started Farm Girl with is cheaper than any college education. And it has taught me so much more than any college could have. Um, and so I encourage people, if you want to start a business, there's no, I mean, even business school, it's funny if you like research the origin of it, it wasn't for entrepreneurship, it was for middle management at big companies. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, everybody is like, oh, I went to so-and-so business school. I'm like, well, then why aren't you working at like Ford Motor Company? Cause that's what it was built for, you know? So I don't think that gives you the, what you need to know to start a company. What you really need to know to start a company basically is that you're gonna be really sleep deprived and you're going to have to like bust your butt all the time, right? It's not like knowing EBITDA, it's like, I don't know, the, a lot of the people I talk to are, you know, very, very impressed with my knowledge of the language, but what's impressive is actually that we haven't run out of money. That's it. That's really what's impressive, you know? So, um, I don't know, I think just learning as I go. So I'd love to talk about some of the hurdles. Um, we talked prior to starting about how um, a lot of people just make this look easy and it's Instagram perfect all the time. And I was like, is it a nightmare? Is it a nightmare? Oh, it's hard all the time. So um, we've had our share of huge hurdles, I'll share. Um, when we first did our overseas factory, um, our hardware and Kate Spade's hardware was in the same room. Our bags got some hybrid looking, Kate Spade and Rebecca Minkoff. I got a nickname, Quebeca Spankoff. That was fun. Um, and then we tried to do a Willy Wonka, like, well, if you did get this bag, congratulations. You just won a ticket. 
and that that failed too. So uh, you've had these moments where you're, I'm crying on the factory, like you don't know what you just did to me, my name, everything, my reputation. So I would love for you to share like some of the unforeseen hurdles or just horror stories that we probably all have. Oh, there's so many. Like, do you want the last three months? Or do you want like, <laughs> sure. now yours? Yes. Um, so I actually just posted on social about this last week. There's like always unplanned expenses, always. Like I, I, like you just get through one, not even through, I'm on three payment plans right now for like paying off these unplanned expenses. There's always an audit. We've had an audit going continuously for the last two years and they find something like, you know, oh, you actually employ your bike couriers and your delivery people. Um, so you have to pay sales tax on the delivery portion too. That's another $300,000 that we can go back. You know, there's always something and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't like, you're going to like, what is that? Like blood from a stone that my mom used to talk about. That's yes. what it feels like. And so <clears throat> there's so many um, things like that. There's always, you know, potential lawsuits that I'm, my team knows I'm completely crazy about, you know, one lawsuit, one long-term disability case, you know, that's a, you're like one away from like losing your company. And so it's, I'm constantly worried about risk all the time, um, which is not a good place to be because then you can't be creative. You can't be thinking about all the growth things you want to do if you're worried about that. And then like, you know, I mean, we were talking about, there's so many nights and just like crying on the bathroom floor in the shower, you know, it's just like, there's something that comes up that you're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see this coming. I didn't, you know, see that this new, new tax that we just had that was an extra $90,000 last week. And you're just like, what? Like, you know, I thought we were actually going to have like a dollar of profit, you know, <laughs> but no. So um, things like that. Also, I just didn't realize how cutthroat business was going to be, that people were going to be, you know, in our industry, like I mentioned earlier, people would, you know, take your flowers. And, you know, when I started Farm Rural, I really wanted to support American farmers because I grew up on a farm and we ran out of supply. And then how, how was I going to deal with that? And then it was like, OK, I have to change my entire supply chain. And by the way, I need to do it by Valentine's Day and it's November. Um, okay, how hard can that be, you know, like from other countries? So it's like figuring out things like that constantly and then how you're going to communicate that message to your consumer so they don't think you just sold out. When you didn't really, you didn't sell out, you know, you have big farms that won't sell to you because you're a woman, really legitimately in this, this country. Half of the big farms, I would say, won't sell to me. They sell to our male counterparts, they won't sell to me. Um, I mean, there's constant like things like that that go on and there's politics in every business, I'm sure. These are the ones that I face. You know, literally people will call uh, Mother's Day a couple years ago. You know, we had secured 35,000 peonies from a farm. And one of our, the wholesalers in our area found out because they literally send people over to see what, where the boxes are coming from that we're getting. And we'll call them and say, if you give these flowers to Farm Girl, we're going to pull our account. Mm -hmm. And these are like third, fourth generation companies. So, you know, they think this thing called the internet might be a, you know, blip, you know, <laughs> might go away. And so we're a risk to them. And so that same uh, farm took away our peonies and went and gave them to that wholesaler who then came back to us and said, oh, I hear you don't have any peonies for next week. And so then we have to buy them from this wholesaler that just stole them from us for 50 cents more a stem. So like things like that constantly, um, you know, you're dealing with just to give you like the gamut between like, you know, government and legal and then also just the insider politics that I'm sure every business has like things like that happening. Um, those are ours. I mean, this is a cutthroat industry. A cutthroat. No one would think that the flowers you get for Mother's Day <laughs> yes. or anniversary, like there's like people stealing flights, like totally. the mom. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Totally is. Yeah. 
So I'd love for you to share the first time you recognized your brand with a customer. I, I'll never forget when I recognized uh, a woman carrying my bag, this would be 14 years ago, I ran up to her, I was like, that's my bag! And she clutched it, she's like, it's my bag! And I, was like, oh, I know it's your bag, I'm excited, and this is me. She was like, you're crazy, you're in Union Square, you're probably one of those people that like sits here all day. So I'd love to hear about that moment for you. Um, I'm always amazed by the people that will post uh, our, you know, like digital media has made it so easy to see into people's lives. and. Um, to see, you know, they'll post like really, really amazing stories about what our flowers mean to them and the, the stories, you know, of what they're going through when they receive them and what they meant to them. Um, the first time though that I had my like, oh my gosh, uh, moment was when they recognized my brand uh, to me. And it was two years in, I had gotten down to $411 in my bank account. And by the way, this is like my living expenses and, you know, from that $49,000. And I was like, well, I don't know that I'm going to be around it next week, you know, but I would take any order that would come in. And so somebody called me, it was like seven or eight o'clock at night and was like, oh, I need some flowers. I need three arrangements. And I was like, done. Tell me where, you know, I'm making them from my like Bay Area window, my Bay window that I turned into a cooler, you know, all that stuff. And so made it was walking my three arrangements wrapped in burlap to my car in San Francisco. It was parked like half a mile from my apartment, of course. And so I coofing it down there and uh, three women coming towards me, uh, saw me with the burlap wrap bouquets and asked me if they were farm girl flowers. And I was just, it was the first time anybody ever recognized our product to me. And I got in my car and I bawled my eyes out. Cause it was just like, I'm gonna make it. I'm totally gonna make it. Someone recognizes my product out in the wild. And it was, it meant everything to me. This meant everything. So company culture is big for you. Yes. I feel, I feel like as a founder, sometimes that's the hardest thing to focus on. You know, my brother and I prioritize growth early on, and then all of a sudden we're like, whoa, we got to focus inward. Um, and how do you do that, you know, five years in? So what have you, what do you, what, what do you care about? How do you do it? So that's such a good question. Um, culture, I, I feel like is the elephant in the room and also the most important person in the room every, like every moment. And Right now, can someone knock on some wood if you're close to it? Like it's really good right now, but I know it could be really bad again. Um, in 2016, it was horrible. Um, so 2016, I kind of coin each word or each year after the year, and 2016 was just the year just keeping up. That's what I say. Like literally, like sprinting all the time. We went from 4.4 million to 10.2 in one year, which was really hard. We got kicked out of our our space at the Flower Mart um, the week before admins week, which was the week before Mother's Day. And so we had to move into a new warehouse on a weekend, start on Monday. It was, I, I made a mistake. I made many mistakes. One of the many mistakes I made that year was I asked my team and let them choose, like, do you want to move now? Or do you want to wait till after Mother's Day? Because we could have negotiated something. Um, but I was, you know, back then I thought like, you know, I want this to be a democracy. I want everybody to have a voice. And what I realized is like, you know, it's like asking your toddler, what do you, do you want this cookie? You know, do you want like, do you want not to be yelled at, you know, from, you know, all the time in this space that we're, you know, growing out of. Um, and so they wanted to move. So we moved right before. And by Mother's Day, I had burnt everybody out. Like everyone was burnt out. They were just frayed, you know, and snipping and at each other all the time. And it was just, it was a horrible experience. Um, and right after Mother's Day, everything just blew up. It was just like people were quitting. Everybody was like, this is you know, the worst place ever. And I was like, oh my gosh, but I let you guys choose what you wanted to do. And, and I, you know, 
it just got you like full benefits and all these things. Like, but that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted me to take care of them and to understand what their needs were and to make sure that, you know, I was the parent in the situation and I wasn't. So we had to slow down our growth in 2017 for that reason, just so I could early 2017 fix the culture because it was, it was bad. And, um, you know, we brought in people in culture manager, we set up processes, we, you know, listened, we met with all of our team members, listened to what they needed that they weren't getting, put those things in place, put the communication tools in place, um, and made it better. That said, like, I'm sure it's going to be bad again at some point, but it's something that I think if I can stay really focused on instead of just letting things happen to me, but um, I actually you know, ahead of it, I think that it will at least be better the next time that something does happen like that. So what advice would you give to people that are thinking about starting their own company? It's a broad question. Yeah, um, I think number one to just do it, which I know sounds really, uh, everyone here, most people were like five years in, but how many of you like wish you would have started it sooner than you did? I wanted to start a business for 10 years before I did. And I just uh, wish that I hadn't had the fear to do it. I also wish that earlier I would have cared about people, but not what they thought about me. Um, I, I let people, I mean, I'm still working on that one um, daily, but I do have to say, maybe it's, you know, people talk about age, like being in your 40s, like I definitely am there now more so in business. You know, I still get emails that are, you know, like, you know, you should be doing this. You're disappointing me as a customer, but all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, we can't win them all. You know, like it's, I can't be everybody's business that they want me to be. Um, I also can't care about what you say about my weight. You don't matter to me, you know? Um, and so I think it's just being able to stay more focused on what I need to be working on and not worried about what people are telling me I should do or how I should look or anything else. Yeah, Talk to that. So this morning we're focused on celebrations. I am celebrating being here with all of you guys and meeting you. I'm trying not to fangirl too much here <laughs> a little bit. Um, so very excited about that. I'm celebrating Capital One giving me this amazing opportunity to be their um, commercial this year has been amazing. Um, I do, I don't wanna like sound like an advertising thing, but it is one of my best hacks as an entrepreneur is that uh, the Capital One Spark Cashback card I've been using literally for years and years. Um, it's probably why I'm in their commercial because I tell everybody about it. It's one of the ways that I'm able to pay for all those unplanned expenses. Um, and also uh, more marketing dollars is what I used it for last year. And so it's like literally a hack. I also you know, didn't pay myself for five and a half years. So I was able to pay myself a little bit from it at year five and a half, which was great. Um, and then, you know, right now I'm keeping a little nest egg. Um, I actually just got an email that I sent them last night that had my picture on it. In the email, it was like, Christina, look what Christi how Christina spends her Capital One cash card. And I literally, it was like one in the morning, I just laughed. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> it was my picture. Um, so I'm saving that little nest egg for whatever unplanned expense comes up. Um, and so I'm celebrating getting a marketing campaign with a national brand that is 175X what my annual marketing dollars are. So excited about that. So what's next? What's next? On the farm so, front. Yeah. yeah, next distribution center, hopefully. We're hoping next summer, whether it's uh, bootstrapped, so I'm saving my pennies, and hopefully by next summer, we'll be able to open New Jersey. Um, and then uh, just keep growing it as fast as we can, but also as strategically as we can. Like I said, by knowing what our growth rate should be and sticking to that. Um, 
and then trying to, you know, my, my biggest goal for my company is to build a company that I would want to buy from, sell to, and work at. And so I think that's how I will define success. So I have two questions that I ask uh, all my guests at the end of my podcast. Uh, one is an invaluable piece of advice you've received or you want to give uh, to everyone listening. So is there something that's been your guiding light? Oprah is always my guiding light. <laughs> always. So. I keep saying if I say her name often enough in public, she'll reach out to me and want to be my best friend. <laughs> me too. I did just get that with Brene Brown, who is my other one. Oh, wow. So I'm, I think that will come to fruition. So. Um, Early on, I was always told that, you know, I didn't know enough about business like you were talking about a bit. And, you know, like I was kind of treated like I was just this immature, like didn't know what I was doing. And I would make most of my decisions based on my gut. But I started making decisions not based on my gut because I would be like, well, this doesn't make sense like book wise, you know, and like what people are telling me, all these advisors that know, know this better than, than me. And then I read a quote by Oprah that, that talk about trusting your gut. She said that every decision that she's made in life where she didn't trust her gut, she's regretted. And everyone that was really great was based on trusting her gut. And so to me, that's my guiding light of if it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for me. And so anybody that tells me, oh, you should be doing this or this or this, I'm like, ah, that's not, if it's not what my gut says to do, I'm not going to do it because Oprah said I don't have to. There you go. <laughs> what Oprah people would be surprised to know. I tell all kinds of things. I'm actually scared of zombies, so I'll never live in the suburbs because I think they're going to get me. Wow, that's um, amazing. <laughs> can't explain that to my kids very easily. They think I'm weird. Um, or, you know, on the Capital One front, um, I have an ex-boyfriend, and the only thing he's good for <laughs> is he told me years ago, like, open up a savings account, forget, forget the code, and I was like, I have 10 bucks a week I can probably put into this. And, you know, 15 years later, I was like, I have, a, I have an account. Wait a second, and I checked, and it allowed us to do a down payment on the house. Um, because as the years, you know, got older. So yeah. that's, that's always like just, you know, put something somewhere, mm -hmm. put away the key. I wish I heard that 20 years ago. That's I know, amazing. I know. That's, that's, that's all so good. good for. Everything else was a mess. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, something surprising. Um, so one of my, my dream occupation, if I didn't have Farm World and didn't have a business, it would be to race motorcycles. Wow. Was so not expecting I, that. Yeah, I love motorcycles okay. a lot. Um, Do you race them in your spare time? No, I have a couple of them. Okay. Um, but I have really bad carpal tunnel from doing flowers too much. Um, and so I can't ride them right now. So I think I would love if, if anybody listens to this that knows an aftermarket parts company that would like to make me foot pedals instead of using hand ones. I would love that. It's another business idea for anybody out there. Yes. But if you do, I don't ask for any royalties. I just want you to send me one so I can, can ride motorcycles again. But someday I will after I get my wrist back. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Christina Stemble on Superwomen, the founder of Farm Girl Flowers. Today's review is by Cityist. Good, but find it a bit demeaning. I really enjoy this podcast because it gives candid info on challenges women overcame to build their businesses. However, in nearly every episode, there's some comment about how non-entrepreneurs work nine to six and don't understand what it's like to be always on and working on call while raising a family. That may have been true 20 years ago, but to have a successful career today, working mothers face the same schedule as entrepreneurs. We are up at 5 a.m. to try and sneak in a workout before the kids rush to get ourselves and our kids ready for the day. 
We hustle it to work after drop-off and have to schedule meetings around pickup schedules. We feel the grind of trying to field calls and emails while feeding and getting our kids ready for bed. And we're right back to work at night once the kids go down. This is not an entrepreneur-only reality, and I really wish this podcast didn't go out of its way to send that message. Cityist, I'm so sorry if that is how this has come across. I think what we're all talking about is just the grind of working and mom. It happens to be that I do interview a lot of entrepreneurs, but there is no doubt that working moms who are working in a company definitely, definitely, definitely have the same issues and the same struggles that we all are trying to sort out, that we're all endlessly asking questions about. Thank you for bringing this to light, and I will definitely make sure that I don't send that message on the go forward. Again, I love these reviews. I love hearing from you, so please keep it up, and thanks for listening to Superwomen. Thank you.